0: Welcome to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast, the history of our wonderful sport. Marcus, taken away. Hours, minutes, today. The announcement of Wollongong getting the 2022 UCI World Road Championships is a big deal. Sure the 2000 Olympic road race came to New South Wales with the Sydney Games, but being awarded standalone World Road Championships is special when you consider the last time New South Wales even hosted the National Road Championships was almost three decades ago in 1996. Plus, the scene is set. Last year's 2021 World Championships in Belgium was a staggering success. Rising Italian prodigy Lisa Balsamo beating the world's best Mariana Voss, and then French superstar Julian Alaphilippe going back to back in one of the hardest raced men's titles in living memory. Will the Frenchman get the hat trick in Wollongong? The racing, the crowd, the atmosphere in Belgium was a celebration of Europe coming out of COVID. Could the Wollongong UCI Worlds be Australia's celebration of rejoining the rest of the world after our COVID lockdowns? This podcast looks at the history of cycling in Wollongong, with the first cycling club appearing just prior to 1890, which is more than half a decade after some of the other pioneer cycling clubs of the New South Wales Cycling Union. The latest start to the club is interesting, given the Illawarra was considered a cycling haven right from the early days of the bicycle in Australia, and groups of high-profile cyclists and their clubs would regularly tour the region. It wasn't till mid-1889 that Mr Loder proposed the first Wollongong Bicycle Club in a meeting of 16 local cyclists. Keen local rider and future captain of the club, Mr A.P. Corry was appointed the interim secretary. Things would happen fast, as within a year Wollongong would have both road and track cycling champions crowned. Why the Wollongong Cycle Club wasn't established earlier is up for debate, but it will become clear later in this podcast that all the early racing in Wollongong was based around making money for private promoters who were at the heart of those first cycling carnivals. Given the strict British amateur principles of the state body, the New South Wales Cyclist Union, Wollongong's early cycling promoters, such as the shrewd developer Theodore Carl Bode, had to tread carefully. But could it have also been because the early cyclists in the Illawarra were happy just touring and that racing seemed a bit of a distraction from exploring the classic cycling routes of the Illawarra region? Even the big metropolitan racing clubs such as Sydney City and Speedwell would hold grand touring club rides throughout the Wollongong region in the 1880s. Famous pioneer cyclist Joseph Pearson was one of the regular visitors to the Wollongong region. In fact, in the late 1880s, Pearson's cycling journeys could last a week. One involved a ride from Sydney to Mittagong, to Kangaroo Valley, Nowra, Kayama, Shell Harbour, Wollongong and back to Sydney. For decades, Pearson rode his bicycle all over New South Wales, Australia and even parts of the world. He would make his place in Australian history by creating a series of very popular and sought-after maps. So while Joe Pearson is a key figure in the forming of the New South Wales Cyclist Union and the New South Wales Touring Union, his great legacy is his maps. Cyclists rarely think about it, but they are experts on the road and its attributes. So hardly surprising then that many of New South Wales' top representative riders were mapmakers. Warren Scarf, Colin Wilkinson and the great New South Wales professional Kerry Hoole was also a cartographer. So it was in the 1800s that cyclist Joe Pearson in New South Wales and George Broadbent in Victoria created the first Australian maps. And with close to 20,000 printed early in the 20th century, as author Jim Fitzpatrick puts it, both these cyclists provided the impetus for the establishment of the state tourist bureaus. On his Traveller's Guide of New South Wales, Joe Pearson signalled out Wollongong as lovely Illawarra, the garden of New South Wales, hilly roads with magnificent scenery. On his tour of the Illawarra in 1889 with Mr George and Copeland, he described the scenery as beautiful beyond description. Pearson often referred to Bulli Pass and Camberwarra Mountain, to other travellers from outside of New South Wales. In 1903, Pearson said, I have travelled throughout France, Italy, England and so. I have seen nothing better anywhere. If you want lovely meadowed land, broad, expansive fields of virtue, beautiful valleys, hills and majestic mountain scenery, it's not necessary to go outside of New South Wales to see it. But Pearson was particularly fond of his coastal rides. In 1887-88 he swapped his high wheeler penny farthing for a safety bicycle and while it looked similar to the bicycles of today it had solid rubber tires that were glued with shellac to the rims which heated up on the hot roads and gave way and allowed the tires to come off. A hollowed out solid rubber tire called a cushion tire soon developed which Pearson said was a great improvement and allowed for more adventurous rides. Of course Pearson's first ride on the new cushion tired safety bicycle was down the south coast of New South Wales and even he was impressed to do more than 520 kilometres in less than five days on the new setup. Remembering he was riding a 49 inch gear, which would be the equivalent to the easiest gear on a modern day road bike, something like a 36 chainring with a 20 tooth cog. The ride was a memorable one, again reassuring Pearson of what he believed that there was no place in the world that can eclipse New South Wales for beautiful scenery and its grand climate. My studies of Joseph Pearson has drawn the conclusion that no modern day event would please him more than Australia's long time nationally acclaimed achievement ride the Sydney to the Gong. Since 1981 hundreds of thousands of cyclists have hit the road to Wollongong raising millions of dollars to support people with MS and lapping up the beautiful scenery. The road to Pearson's lovely Illawarra is much different than in his day. However, I'm sure he was nodding in approval when well over 11,000 riders pedalled over the breathtaking sea cliff bridge for the first time in 2006 on the MS Sydney Gong ride. Of course, then you have other major cycle race promotions, including many of cycling New South Wales' most historic events, such as Phil Bates' classics. Then, of course, Illawarra clubs' long-running Ken Dineville Memorial Handicap all with that amazing Wollongong backdrop. Here's Illawarra Cycling Club President Terry Wall talking about those Wollongong cycling venues, followed by Aussie Tour de France legend and former world champion Mark Renshaw on his cycling experiences in Wollongong. Promotions um, down there. The Ken is amazing. Like, it sells yeah. out. Also... Events down there on the, um, the lighthouse point. Yeah, Flagstaff Hill Circuit. What an am- it's got to be one of the most beautiful race courses in Australia. A cycling
1: course. Well, Mark, I really believe it's one of the one of the most spectacular criterium circuits in the world. There's be- not many circuits that race right on a beach in the world, and, and we do it. Wollongong. Um, we of course had to um, cancel our our Criterium Series this year due to COVID and we hope next year we'll be back racing up there prior to the world titles in September and Wollongong Council have informed us that our new Criterium Circuit will be complete prior to the world titles and that's just one of their agreements to make Wollongong a cycle-friendly city and so we've been through the plans we've been through everything the plans are on display with Wollongong Council and that will be located uh, down um, near the current velodrome site,
0: it, it is certainly a very big cycling precinct coming up there. Then, huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely huge. And like we're going to, go, we're currently under construction for the huge mountain bike park, and there the club will be developing another leg in mountain bike racing I and cycle cross uh, at that at that venue in Cringilla. Wow.
0: Also, might be showing our age a bit here too, but some of yeah. the, the greatest racing in New South Wales was on those escarpments out of Wollongong, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some incredible yeah, we, stuff. So, Commonwealth Bank Race. Yeah, yeah. So, and then up Man,
1: up Macquarie Pass,
0: famous area, isn't it, for cycling action yeah. with all those events that Batesy would not only just the the bank tour, but also he would put on crits. Yeah.
1: yeah, we had Mark Renshaw's racing. Many World Tour riders have raced the Lighthouse Circuit. We've had world champions race it as well. It's a special site.
0: The Wollongong area, one of the most beautiful areas to race in, in Australia.
2: It certainly is. It's one of the uh, prettiest places to race. Flagstaff like Hill there, he's got a great outlook over the ocean, back over Wollongong, and uh, generally the weather's nice, so it's a beautiful place to race.
0: Great promotions have been held over the years down there too. Like, you, you actually did a bank tour with Batesy. Yeah, a
2: lot of racing, going all the way back to the bank race. Uh, certainly some good criteriums around that Flagstaff Hill. Um, one not too long ago, probably only five, six years ago, was the last time I raced there. And tough little, tough little circuit, a little climb in there and a fast sprint. So, yeah, after an hour of racing, those, those kind of circuits, they sort the punch out. It's always good racing.
0: And always a good field. I recall Dean Blair and you racing against the likes of CJ, Brownie, Benny Kay, Palmer, Docker, Bling Matthews, and the girls Hosking, Sukadinoff, Mullins, Charlotte Becker, also remember in more recent New South Wales GP a young Caleb Ewan racing
2: yeah that was that was probably just at the start of his career on the road when he was just old enough to start racing with the seniors so one of the first races I I was with him but uh going back to the the bank race I can I can remember doing some racing there and I I said it would have been in my first bank race when I was yeah I think only 17 years old (laughs) so we're going a long way back
0: Given Mark Renshaw was honoured by being selected in Cycling Australia's Tour de France Team of the Century, it's fitting he got to race in New South Wales' most prestigious international cycling tour, the Commonwealth Bank Cycling Classic as a young fella. Of course, this tour was regularly decided on the mountains behind Wollongong, with Stage 10 of Mark Renshaw's 2000 Bank Tour going from Wollongong to Nara via Jamberoo Pass, Kangaroo Valley and Camberwara Mountain. That's the same classic cycle roads that Joe Pearson cycled over well over 100 years before. This region to the south of Wollongong to Nowra is a very significant cycling location. While Australia's National Cycling Championships have been run since 1901, they've only been held in New South Wales a handful of times. Yet two of these times were on the roads south of Wollongong at Nowra. He's former New South Wales state handicapper, Doug Holland. At least two or three times
3: over the years, the um, state pro title was run down at Albion Park and was also run down here. Um, the first year I was moved to NARA, it was on down here. And then the Australian Pro Championship was on in NARA, 61 and 73. I was a race organiser for it in 73. Yeah, right. And, and Hooley won it. Yeah. The last time he got medals at nationals yeah so that when that was on there's 11 miles so it goes out from now out to the you know the navy and down like in a big triangle pretty hard
0: course yeah 11 laps of it that. so that, that's been on down here of course the development of Wollongong over the years has continually changed the location of cycle racing in the city The first road races in Wollongong in 1890 started right in the centre of town. In fact, right outside the Wollongong Town Hall and finished at the pubs down the road after racing out along the main road and back. In more recent times, the Huntley Road was used for bigger races. Here's Illawarra Cycle Club's Terry Wall again. So, in the past, you've had different tracks and riding venues, but the trouble with Wollongong is it's a changing environment, isn't it? You, you've had to move <laughs> on.
1: We did. In the days when yourself and your son come down to race the ball at Dapto. that course is now closed, and we're not allowed to race on it because the road is not only horrendous condition, but um, suburbia is encroaching on all that land, and as I indicated to the police i agreed with them it's too dangerous to conduct a race and um, we have to look after our juniors as well it's not a safe environment to conduct a race and that's why we looked at alternative locations and we've come up with a fantastic site on the top of mount kira and we race there and um, we have our good friends from Nara, Sutherland, southern cross who we've got a close relationship with they come down and support the race.
0: Now, I'm thinking up the top of Mount Kira is probably where you ran the club races years and years ago, to be quite honest. They did. They did.
1: And in the Kenny Hobbs story on Ken Dineval, he touches on it.
0: I encourage you all to read Terry Wall's story on Ken Hobbs and the Ken Dineval Memorial Handicap when it comes up on the Illawarra Club's website. Over the last 65 years, the Ken Deneville Memorial has developed into a feature race on the New South Wales state cycling calendar, a fitting memorial to a young man. Ken Hobbs telling Terry of the terrible cycling accident out the front of Ramble Service Station in Fig Tree in 1956 when the young man lost his life. The memorial race commenced in 1957 and was organised by Ken Deneville's uncle Roy Cleary. Even he couldn't have predicted it would be still going strong over 60 years later. As Terry explained, the first Ken Deneville race was conducted on the Mount Kira Road Circuit, which was the classic road racing circuit in Wollongong at the time. Here is former Wollongong League of Wheelmen cyclist Lionel Covington. Back in the day when I first started, I used to get
4: in the back of a 10-ton coal truck. Yeah, the big coal trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Delaney, Max Delaney, was a New South Wales junior champion and he was a top rider. And old Tom would drive up Mount Kira in his 10-ton coal truck with about a dozen or more um, bike riders like myself when I first started. Instead of us riding up Kira to go to our races, he'd give us a lift up and we'd all ride home. But, you know, we'd end up with bloody coal dust even though he hosed the old truck out. Before he started, that's what he used to do for a living, uh, deliver coal to wherever. And um, we used to go up in the coal truck. Then later on, as you got your own car and, uh, and drive up there or... If you really wanted a good warm-up, you'd ride up there. Yeah. So, imagine doing it today. <laughs> <laughs> They'd put the bloody driver in jail for a start, wouldn't they?
0: And where did you race up at Mount Kira? Like up the top? Well, hill?
4: we started at the back of um, where the Kira picton Road meets the Mount Kira Road. It was a brilliant course. We'd ride up past Cordo Dam and out towards uh, to the um, road that turns to happen and go out to the the big freeway and things like that, but that road had nothing on it. And uh, in the old days, it, um, we would be lucky to see two or three cars while we were
0: racing. Give me a bit of an indication of the roughly the era we're talking about.
4: Fifty eight onwards, when I first started, March nineteen fifty eight, and uh, we used to ride out to. You know, depending on the on the distance, uh, there was a Five mile mark for uh, juveniles, it was at the bottom of what they call the flying quarter where the motorbike club used to run motorbike races and do a flying quarter. <laughs> and time them. <laughs> Can you imagine? Again, imagine in this day, or day. but anyway, that's what they did.
0: And did they and close the road or have any permission?
4: No, no closing of the roads. <laughs> oh, <geez.
0: laughs>
4: <laughs> they probably didn't ask for permission either from anybody. But, um, yeah, so five mile out and five mile back was the ten miles for the juveniles or juniors, and then there was the um, twelve and a half was the full. Length of the road before you turn right to go to Appen. So that was 12 and that's a give you 25 mile. And if you're doing a 50, you had to do it twice. And yeah, and if you're doing uh, 20 mile rides or 30 mile rides, you'd go out to uh, the dam and back. So yeah, it was, uh, a, oh, I loved that course. I really did. They used to
3: start racing at Unidera. They used to actually start racing on Crown Street. At, uh, near the St Mark's Church. And they'd raced from there out to Albion Park, um, and back. And that was, that was part of a, a race that they had. And w- which we think, you know, absolutely hilarious thinking you know, they, they could actually ride
0: push bikes on those roads because when you see what they're like today. That was long-time Illawarra cycling official Gary Doughty explaining that the early road racing in Wollongong was right in the centre of town on Crown Street, which runs west from Wollongong City Beach right through the CBD. It was just a matter of months after Wollongong Bicycle Club was formally established by affiliating with the New South Wales Cyclist Union in 1890 that the city held its first road cycling championships, which started and finished at the pubs near the town hall on Crown Street. At 4 p.m., Saturday, the 20th of December, 1890, race organizer James Kirby flagged the riders away from the Roxby Cricketers' Arms Hotel, with early race favourite Davis leading the way up Crown Street. He and young W. Frackender had won the earlier races in Wollongong after swapping their penny farthings for safety bicycles, both riding the new, rapid safeties after local businessman S. Crutcher had opened up an agency on Crown Street. The 1890 Road Championship would be longer than the earlier Wollongong races, travelling out to the Dapto Hotel, called the Reeds Hotel, and back to the Commercial Hotel in Crown Street, a distance of 30 kilometres. At Fig Tree, Richardson had caught Davis, and the pair had built a nice lead before Davis started to tire, leaving Richardson the clear leader at the Dapto Hotel turn. Behind him, Frackender and Walker, broke clear of Osmond to catch Davis to form a chase group of three behind Richardson on the return trip. Young Frackender made his move and caught leader Richardson, while Davis was really starting to suffer after his earlier efforts. The first Wollongong Road Championship looked to be a battle between Frackender and Richardson. However, George T Walker had made his surge at Gerds Hill and he was within 50 yards of the leading pair but the 1890 title would come down to a sprint between Frackender and Richardson. At full speed down Crown Street, the pair hit the finish line outside the commercial pub together with Judge Kirby unable to split the pair at the end of Wollongong's first ever road cycling championship. The press reported that the crowd lustily cheered home Walker in third and then Osman and Davis, who had completely collapsed after attacking the 30km course right from the start. The time for the course was 1 hour 35 minutes and it was considered remarkably fast. So when flamboyant organiser Jazz Kirby announced a rerun, the young frackender handed over the 1890 Wollongong Road Championship to Mr W.J. Richardson. It'd been a great start to championship road racing in Wollongong and it makes you wonder what the riders and the organisers would have said if you told them in 132 years' time... They will run a World Road Championship here in Wollongong. Maybe their answer would be, why so long? Of course, the first cycle racing in Wollongong would be on the track, and it would also have a wonderful history. Here's Wollongong cyclist and former Illawarra Club official Lionel Covington again.
4: uh, I I love the the Old MacKay Park. That was in the centre of Wollongong. It was a quarter-mile track with a bank into the the strait. And if you're, a, if you weren't a local, <laughs> you'd end up over the fence as you come <laughs> into the straight. <laughs> and, and you wouldn't want to be coming around, uh, a non-local, you know, in the straight because he might take you over the fence. But, um, but it was an old tar track, grass grew through it and all sorts of things. But what, what we had some good there? racing on there, six hour teams races and things like that
0: so where again just where is that
4: it was called mccabe park uh, in church street which is the main street down from where the police station is and it runs towards the steelworks so it was just down there on the right hand side yeah, it was a quarter mile it was they had played football in the middle of it that was a good good track
0: good little track if you had a bit of banking on a quarter mile track sort of
4: yeah it was yeah, yeah. it was oh, a lot lot uh steeper than Things we've written, written in in Bathurst in those days and uh, where else did we go to, uh, Mudgee?
0: Yeah, they were sort of flat tracks. The rapid development of the city of Wollongong would have consequences for the track racing venues also. With McKay Park, one of the tracks resumed for Wollongong's growth. Here's Lionel again. Wollongong City Council they promised us a eight laps to the mile
4: or whatever it was in those days. Just a, a, a velodrome at Gwynville, which is just near the town. They even had the dirt, they even banked there for us, and nothing ever came of uh, of uh, the velodrome they were going to build us. But uh, and then Western Suburbs built built that track at Unidera. Which was really good. And that was the O'Connors and the Overdons and people like that. Uh, one, one guy, he was a plumber. He got the, um, the banks all done and things like that. But they used to race on an old trotting track or something out at, uh, Unandera. And then when they started that, they did a really good job of getting it in a good spot like it is. Good place to race.
0: Wollongong's Unandera Velodrome is a great example of what can be achieved by a passionate group of cyclists at grassroots level in Australia. In the early 1960s, Wollongong's McKay Park cycle track had disappeared and things were moving very, very slowly with its replacement. Fearing the sport was in real trouble, a group of enthusiasts formed a new club and got to work chasing up a new track. A man of action, Tom O'Connor, and the club's new track committee connected with industry and government to get approvals for the Unendera Velodrome. The result was a classic outdoor hand-built Aussie cycle track, one that not only got local cyclists back racing in the shortest time possible, but has stood the test of time. Here's former Lavington Wheel Race winner Danny O'Connor. To spend spent a bit of time on Unidera,
5: I would imagine, over the years. Well, oh, absolutely. I, I come from a, a cycling family, obviously, and my, my father and my brothers and I and my sister and my son and my and his great-grandson and great-granddaughters raced on that velodrome over the years. I've got some great photos of world champions and Olympic championship racers, national state champions. So it's... It's got a lot of history behind it, the Velodrome in particular. So,
0: but your family, the generation before you, had um, supported the bike industry as far as shops.
5: Yes, yeah, yeah. My father um, had three bike shops in one in Paddington and two in Wollongong.
0: Your family, along with the other locals, had a lot to do with the with the construction of the track.
5: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. My father was a driving force with. Um, state and federal politicians and, and local government people, the mayor, in the early 60s after McCade Park was um, shut down and the South Coast Cycling Club, it folded up and my father started the Western Suburbs Cycling Club up, which is now morphed into the Ella Laura Cycling Club.
0: The sport could have folded there at one stage. Like, McCade Park was gone. There was ch- there was talk of another velodrome closer to the city, and a lot of work had to go to suddenly get another alternative, and it wasn't easy from what I can gather.
5: No, it was, and it was an amazing story, and I could keep you uh, bored for a couple of hours just on the experiences that I had and, and all my young blokes that I used to ride with, and we went through it. But we used to, we raced on... On a trotting track in Yunnanderra, just 500 metres from the velodrome. Now we used to race there on a Sunday. We've raced on Coimara, Nara, Buloi, a um, couple of other ones. Dapto Showgrounds, on the dirt tracks. We raced there in an Albion Park Showground on the dirt tracks. We raced we had club championships there for three or four years before the velodrome was built, and we we'd get in. Um, on my father's mate's big truck, and there'd be ten or twelve kids in the back of a big truck, and we go and and we drive around to races. I had my first race when I was four years old on McCray Park in 50, 1954, and a race against a guy called Buck Jones. But six years later, it was finished, and the council decided that it was going to they were going to build another velodrome somewhere else. And this was going to be a park then, which it is now. But they didn't come through with the Velodrome anywhere else. And my father drove a lot of people down that path of we oh, need to get a bike track here and through his connections in Labor and um, it was a Labor speech in federal and state in those days, and the Australian Iron Steel where he had mates, they got all that done in over a two year period, which is a great
0: story. And, and they've built a great track, really, haven't they? Like, it's lasted time. Like, it's seen some top riders, the Kirstens and that all come up and developed. And I know Tank is still out there now training people.
5: It's hung in there. For what reason, I don't know, but it's still there. And I've been on that track when there's been Olympic gold medalists and world champions on that track on the same day. Very few tracks can say that. But for a country track...
0: And going on from that, it must be a great feeling for you that that whole precinct looks like getting developed now as part of the UCI World's legacy that, you know, it looks like a crit track all in that sort of location. That, that's a great thing uh, for your family, really, isn't it? To look back. It's, on. A,
5: it's, it's a testament to my father's, but he, he lived and breathed cycling. It's really interesting, the old play, because I was the last of his 14 kids did other things apart from bike riding, but um, yeah. So he's.
0: <laughs> but he had brothers that raced too, didn't he? And then uh, Alf Ovington seemed to be around. There was a heap of other people, wasn't there? Like wasn't we had them,
5: We had guys that lived at our place on and off. They, I never knew that. People would turn up at our place, and some great stories of guys in the early part of the last century in the jokes in Mount Morgan in. Queensland and down to Victoria who were fabricating names and riding old bikes to races and getting a new bike to win the wheel races and then shooting through with the bookmakers money (laughs) two of the old guys that used to stay with us they had wonderful stories of how they won money ended up broke of course they were great stories from the you know late 1890s to the 1920s in tough times
0: So we've looked at the first road racing and the first road championships in Wollongong and now we've investigated the more recent track racing with the move from McKay Park to the Unundera Velodrome in 1960s. But what about the first track racing in Wollongong? For that we have to go right back into the 1800s and chase up some information on a character who migrated from Germany and tried his luck on the golf fields before settling in Wollongong. The multi-talented Theodore Carl Bode would be involved in Wollongong's first brass band and local government, with his newfound connections helping to establish an inn on 50 acres at North Wollongong on the banks of Fairy Creek. Almost one and a half centuries later, that inn still operates as the North Gong Hotel. And as for the 50 acres, it was initially called the Centennial Ground and it was used for livestock sales before becoming Bode's new Centennial Athletic Ground and then hosting bands, sports carnivals and anything that would attract people and their money to the vicinity of the North Gong Hotel.
4: north gong hotel
0: i'm mark windsor from cycling new south wales and i was chasing up a bit of historic information i was wondering if there was anyone around there that'd be aware that the north gong hotel was the scene of where cycling started in wollongong
6: yeah right nothing nothing that i'm aware of um but what i'll do i'll forward information around to all the other management and anyone that i think of
0: that'd be great
6: and if anything shows up it'll end up in your email
0: Right. well done Never missing an opportunity, T.C. Bode offered the first Wollongong Bicycle Club a racetrack after they first met to discuss forming a cycle club in mid-1889. At that point, the club hadn't officially formed nor been sanctioned. But neither did Bode's track exist. However, T.C. Bode was a man that could make things happen. And within a few months, the new Wollongong Bicycle Club was racing on the new Wollongong cycle track adjacent to Bode's North Wollongong Hotel. Very first races were over actually at North Wollongong. We're going back 100 years now. I don't know if you know anything about this Bode's Field over there where they ran some racing. I
3: live in Bode Avenue. Do you? Yes. Uh. So Bode's Field was built by a chap Bode who actually built the North Wollongong Hotel. Uh, he actually had a, a race course there, uh, you know, a horse racing oval. So I can't remember the date. Um, yeah, so the history, of that was quite interesting and, and he did have horse racing there for, and he was a, quite a developer for on at the time. You know, it's horse and buggy day. Yeah,
0: yeah. He was an incredible promoter, that fella. And, uh, yeah. So yeah. it was a bit of a classic start to cycling in. What happened at Bodes Oval in the 1890s is a classic case study of the sporting politics that resulted in Australian cycling being pulled apart by two rival management groups for around a century. The Cyclist Union, or the amateurs, established in New South Wales in 1883 with the goal of running pure championships and to pick unbiased teams, while the league established in New South Wales 10 years later in 1893 and their mission was simply to entertain and promote the sport and importantly to allow riders and promoters to distribute and make money in the racing. So, the riders of the first Wollongong Bicycle Club wanted to have their own championship, while the race organisers, or more specifically the race course owners, wanted to make a return on their investment by simply providing good entertainment for the spectators who would be spending their money. So, there would have to be some compromise, and the New South Wales Cycling Union wasn't good at compromise. After offering a cycle track to the new Wollongong Bicycle Club in mid-1889, Theodore Bode had designed and prepared what the press described as a five-to-the-mile fine cinder track for the Attractive Cycle Programme on New Year's Day 1890. These cycling events were reported as the first wheel contests in the South Coast District. An experienced organiser, Bode realised that building the racetrack was only part of the job. His concern was attracting spectators. So Bode's new oval also boasted shady picnic areas with a wattle grove, event communication and a coach service directly to the grounds from the railway station. The New Year Day cycling events were a wonderful success with the local press reporting. The bike racing was a delightful innovation at the New Year's Day Bode Carnival. When the cycling came on almost the entire crowd congregated at the bicycle track with interest and excitement close to boiling point while it lasted. Club captain and Wollongong's first club secretary A.P. Corrie was the top rider on the day defeating Walker in the final of the one mile challenge and also taking out the three mile 15 lap handicap which was widely praised as the race of the day. Kennedy winning the one mile handicap off 250 yards. Overjoyed by the success, another meeting was run a few weeks later on Australia Day, with Corrie again in good form. Interestingly, the dust hadn't settled on the cycling events, and promoters Kirby and Walker were pegging out a three-furlong pony track on the outside of the cycling track. The success of the two sports days incentive for more expansion at Bodes Oval, with a new pavilion and grandstand proposed. It was interesting that Bode used a private promoter, James Kirby, between he and the bicycle club. He was an experienced promoter himself, but you get the feeling he was keen to distance himself from the cyclists. Or more specifically, the strict regulations of the New South Wales Cyclist Union, which was the sole organiser of cycle racing in the colony at that time. Yet he was aware for racing to be promotable, it needed to be organised and efficient with a set of rules. So Bode needed some form of cyclist union presence to provide the control to run the contest. In his early athletics carnival promotions, Bode had used the Sir Joseph Banks rules to run the racing. It was a set of 28 rules and 7 bylaws developed by the officials at the Sir Joseph Banks grounds in Botany to run their athletics carnivals. Private promoters such as Theodore Bode found it very convenient to run their events under the Sir Joseph Banks rules, as it provided the promoter an empowerment or a method of control with only a very small commitment to the rules' authors. However, the New South Wales Cyclist Union, with its strict rules based on the English Union's amateur principles, was another story. So on deeper investigation it was not surprising to discover that for Wollongong's first cycling events on New Year's Day eighteen ninety, that the cycle club hadn't officially joined the New South Wales Cyclist Union. Yet strategically they had been acknowledged by the union and there was a suggestion that the club was in the process of joining. Clearly the club and the promoter knew that there was repercussions for joining the union. For example, in eighteen eighty-nine, while Bode prepared the cycle track, the New South Wales Cyclist Union ruled the Bathurst Cycle Club broke the rules in awarding rider Alf Ashworth a suit of clothing for winning a race. This surely would have caused Bode and his workers some concern as some of the prizes for one of their early cycling carnivals at Bodes Oval in 1890 was a biscuit barrel for runner-up in the three-mile bicycle handicap. Other interesting prizes on this day include a box of apples and a dress for the boys' and ladies' race, and somewhat appropriately a pair of pants for the sack race. Meanwhile, the kiddies won a box of cigars and a pipe for taking out the three-legged race. Clearly Bode's rules about prizes was anything is okay as long as it causes a bit of hype and I don't have to pay for it. So after using a bit of cunning, Theodore Bode had kept the union and its strict English amateur rules at arm's distance for the first cycling events at Bode's Oval which is interesting when you consider T.C. Bode had been involved in the Eureka Stockade while on the golf fields at Ballarat. After the success of the cycling events on New Year's and Australia Day 1890, Bode's Oval became more like a scene from The Greatest Showman, with all kinds of events appearing on Bode's Oval program with the bicycles in the early 1890s. Along with athletics, dancing and championship coits came pony racing and boat racing on Fairy Creek followed by Professor Hernandez' monster balloon display, where he parachuted to earth from 8,000 feet. Then come the great Thomas vs Hester wrestling match, plus electric light sports, horse jumping and a call for fancy dress on bikes. The Wollongong Bicycle Club themselves got in on the act by bringing trick cyclist W.S. Maltby to town in May 1890. The self-acclaimed champion one-wheel rider of the world, Maltby, would put on two shows at the town hall for the bike club. In the show, Maltby dressed as Oscar Wilde and a graceful French lady cyclist. While this might seem fairly adventurous move by a so-called amateur club, some of the advertising of the Maltby shows by the Wollongong Bicycle Club was very theatrical to say the least. A story appeared in the Illawarra Mercury a week before the show. It was about a group of cycling club members that come across a giant 18-foot snake and then grimly reported how one of the men shot its head off, then skinned it and then checked the contents of the snake's stomach. Then the newspaper stated, to their astonishment they found a large sheet of paper, which when opened read, W.S. Maltby, champion fancy bicycle and one-wheel rider of the world, will perform at the town hall next Saturday and Monday. So, Bode and Kirby's promotions had given the Wollongong Bicycle Club a notoriety in the city. However, the riders were looking for some credibility in their racing. So, in April 1890, the club did formally join the New South Wales Cyclist Union, and plans were put in place for Wollongong's first road championship, which we've already discussed, won by Richardson. Shortly after, Wollongong's first track championships were scheduled for New Year's Day 1891 at the Bodes Oval Sports Carnival. Almost straight away, fears surfaced among the local riders of the cyclist union disqualifying riders who entered a race organised by a private promoter. A well-placed story in the local paper suggested the riders had nothing to worry about, and while I haven't checked the accuracy of this article, as you would expect, it did have the feel of favouring the private promoters, who would have been regular advertisers in the paper. Anyway, the story did the trick, and the first Wollongong Cycling Championships went ahead. Just as a side note, the 1890s was a tough time for the New South Wales Cyclist Union, with the much less conservative League of Wheelmen soon to be formed and many cyclists and their clubs, including Wollongong, to join their ranks. However, for now, it would be the union that would enable the first Wollongong Track Championships at Bodes Oval on New Year's Day 1891. The title was raced over one mile, with Davis and Walker progressing to the final after winning their heats. GT Walker kicked first, but Davis, still scarred after blowing up and finishing at the tail of the field in the Road Race Championship when favourite, responded quickly, jumping past Walker to win easily, to become Wollongong's first track champ on the legendary Bodes Oval. With the popularity of Bodes Oval, the Wollongong Amateur Bicycle Club was finding it increasingly difficult to get on the program, with cycling soon disappearing from the New Year's Day Carnival, when events such as trotting and hunting were added to the day. They were calls by the cyclists themselves for the Wollongong Bicycle Club to have their own track, and the council was approached to build a track at Stewart's Park across the creek from Bodes Oval. However, negotiations slowed when a top-of-the-line Hampton-type track was proposed. So while this was happening, the Wollongong Bicycle Club decided it was time for a facelift, and reformed in March 1896 and affiliated with the New South Wales League of Wheelmen under Secretary G.T. Walker. The club continued to race at Bode's Oval while negotiations continued around Stuart Park. But surprisingly, a breakthrough came from no other than Theodore Carl Bode, who reconfigured Bode's Oval to lease the new Wollongong Bicycle League of Wheelmen Club around eight acres for a new track with the grand opening in November 1897. On the big day, a parade of cyclists and the town band on the back of Bode's four-horse drag rode from the town hall to the new track where Mr J.B. Nicholson, M.L.C., declared in front of well over a thousand spectators, the new track open. A huge cycling carnival followed. The final of the Wollongong Wheel Race preceded by eight heats and then semi-finals before eventually the big event was won by visitor G. Prince off 90 yards. Taking a less prominent place in the carnival was the 1897 half-mile Wollongong Track Championships. Experienced local performers Frackender and Davis won the heats. But in the final, the pair came in contact with each other and J.H. Parsons became Wollongong's professional district track champion. Of course, the riders, prominent visitors, politicians and officials, including Kwong Tart and the executive of the New South Wales League of Wheelmen, then adjourned to Theodore Bode's North Wollongong Victoria Hotel for toast, where the treasurer of the New South Wales League, Corbyn, spoke in glowing terms of Bode and his new track. With the press reporting, the New South Wales League officials suggested T.C. Bodes Track was the best outside of Sydney. So it all started at Bodes Oval. And while the area has been well and truly developed now, ironically, the annual Wollongong Triathlon Festival uses parts of Stewart Park, along with the Flagstaff Point. This weekend has featured the likes of world superstar triathlete Gwen Jorgerson in 2016. And it's kind of cool to think that the hundreds of cyclists in this event while racing along George Handley Drive are just across the creek from the old Bodes Oval site. I'm actually looking at the, the first track near the North Wollongong um, Hotel. It was,
4: yeah, it was too. I've got results from there. It was mainly uh, all the old six-day bike races, but I've got some information on... You know, results, uh, races. Yeah, there was they, a... they used to race around where the um, uh, Police Boys Club is. Yeah, that's where it was. There's was an oval there.
0: That was Lionel Covington again, with a connection to the Bodes Oval Track in the late 1930s. Lionel, having made time to talk to the old Wollongong cyclists on their experience on the Bodes Oval Track, including old Wollongong champion Little Arthur Kennedy, who raced with the likes of Opperman and Lenny Rogers, and ended up secretary of the South Coast Bicycle Club. Also Darcy Hennessy, who is well-known Illawarra rider Danny Hennessy's uncle. Before we talk to Danny, we should explain it wasn't just a matter of the Wollongong Pro Bicycle Club leasing the track in 1897 and continuing to race there till Mackay Park was established. Firstly, Australian cycling is a lot more complex than that with both amateur and pro cycling clubs existing in the early 1900s, and both having time on Bode's Oval. And secondly, under T.C. Bode and his private promoter team, Bode's Oval was like a living thing. It continued to grow and reinvent itself. Horse racing, motorsport... In fact, in the mid-30s, the old cycle track was redesigned into a top-end dog racing, coursing track. So soon after the Wollongong Bicycle Club joined the league in 1896... Adapto Club formed, and while it stayed unaffiliated initially, it did align itself to the union. Strangely, the Wollongong Bicycle Club then cut its ties to the league and became the Wollongong Bicycle Association. Soon after, the Illawarra Cycling League formed for the pros and took over the long lease of Bode's Oval. There is plenty more twists and turns to the story. But the bottom line is both amateur and pro clubs existed in Wollongong and even private racing like Albert Hammond's Speedwell Road Series. Then there was temporary tracks developed at places like Brownsville and Bulleye. Yet in the lead up to World War II, as Lionel Covington tells us, the big cycling carnivals were still being held at Bodes Oval. Here's Danny Hennessy talking about Darcy, who raced the Junior event in a big carnival in October 1937 on Bodes Oval. I've got a
6: couple of photographs of him when he was a bike racer in the Illawarra area. Now, I was told by Darcy that there was an oval pretty much behind the North Gong Hotel. And there's a a soccer field down there. And it's in this, like, behind the police boys club. I've never been in there, but every time I ride past, I think that was where the first velodrome was in Wollongong. There's a... um, Facebook page down here called Lost Wollongong, and all these amazing old photographs, one came up, an aerial view, and you could make out this round track down where this velodrome was, and I thought, that's it, I've seen it now, based on what Darcy told me, and and you seem to know a fair bit about it.
0: Yeah, between the wars, they got it going again. It was an old cinder track, which were the classic old tracks they raced on in the Mm -hmm. 1800s. But Darcy raced a junior race on there in the, like, 1930s. That day, I've noticed... Uh, Jack Fitzgerald and Grant Pye, uh, he was a Victorian sprinter and Jack was the Australian national champion and they put on a match race and it was the same day that Darcy got to to race on this this Bodes Oval track and he was saying they'd never seen anything like it. And there was another old Wollongong legend, Ken Hobbs, racing the wheel race that day Uh, and also little Arthur Kennedy who won many Wollongong championships but they were all impressed. These guys were saying they'd never seen anything like the sprinting tactics and that that was on that they these two national level sprinters sort of fought yeah. out on this Bodes oval. So it, it was a great day. So Darcy was only a young kid, but but it's, he got to race with these guys, and apparently it was a, a huge thing on this Bodes oval, which that track. It actually went right back to the 1800s. That's where they first started racing. But, but he got well, to race on it.
6: Yeah, yeah. So Darcy lived in town. He basically lived within, you know, a kilometre of where this track was, you know. Ah. Um, he, he knew it all back to front. What happened, I think, after Bode Oval uh, was, um, like, decommissioned, A velodrome started up you've probably heard of of McCade Park. Yeah, yeah. And that was that's right in the centre of the city. But Darcy became like the custodian of McCade Park after he, you know, elevated himself from Bodoville. Darcy told me that he was the guy that used to go down there every Friday afternoon because apparently the place was packed out. Every Friday night the racing at McCade Park was packed out. It was so big it was often like like five to ten thousand people. He used to say. But he used to tell me stories about how Italian professionals used to come out to Australia, and they used to um uh, like come down to to, to race at McCade Park on a Friday night, and sometimes there was like a carnival on a Saturday as well. And some of the pubs in town used to put up these Italian professionals and stuff, and they often would ride down on their, um, on their bike on, on Friday afternoon or during the morning and then switch their wheel around um, so they could ride like a fixed gear on the Friday night and then ride home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is focused on racing venues in the Wollongong region. But as stated before, it does provide an insight into the long running battle between the Amateur Union and the Pro League of Wheelmen in cycling in Australia. While the first Wollongong club that held the inaugural road and track championships was an amateur cycling union affiliated club, much of the history that we've discussed since has been associated with the Pro League of Wheelmen body. Yet the amateur clubs still continued to operate in the region and they did coexist. The Pro League of Wheelmen was a huge sporting organisation in Australia holding massive carnivals at the SCG at the turn of the 20th century. So it is surprising that it would be the one that would disappear over the last 50 years. The old clubs amalgamating with the amateurs as they softened their rules and regs. This was the case in Wollongong with the development of the present day Illawarra Cycling Club. Here's the Illawarra Club's Gary Doughty. We were only talking about another
3: chap the other day, Jim Tullock. Years ago I, I contacted Jim a couple of times to try and get early history because he was actually the founder of one of the founding people of the aura cycle club um he was in the amateurs and lionel was in the pros and then they amalgamated jim was quite a driving force he was he was sort of um the Barbara wiles at that time ah,
0: um so he, he was, was the just,
3: amateurs he was the amateur club but he was a founder of the aura cycle club that we know now
0: During the war periods and the Great Depression, the Amateur Union suffered in the country areas. In fact, in the late 1920s, the Union formed two centres as opposed to clubs, one in the north and the other in the south of New South Wales, to allow small groups of amateurs in the country areas to remain joined to the Union. After World War II, the amateurs got back going, and a new Illawarra Cycle Club affiliated with the Amateur Union. Secretary Jack Berlowitz had a high profile with the state body and the new Illawarra Amateur Cycle Club shared McCabe Oval with the professional South Coast Bicycle Club. Berlowitz's presence on the New South Wales Cyclist Union's Executive Committee resulted in strong growth of Amateur Cycle Club, but in 1949 the hard-working secretary was killed in a motorcycle accident on Port Kembla Road. After a grand benefit and memorial cycle carnival on McCabe Park, Jack's wife Lily would take over the secretary role of the Illawarra Amateur Cycle Club and become one of the only female administrators in Wollongong's male sport. Soon after, however, things soured between Lily's Amateur Illawarra Cycle Club and the pro-South Coast League of Wheelmen Bicycle Club over shared responsibilities at McKay Park, with disputes over the upkeep of the track fought out in the press. It would seem bringing the arguments out in the open did some good, by the mid-1950s, both the Illawarra amateurs and the South Coast pros were racing on the same program at McKay Park, be it of course in separate events, but it was still considered a step forward in relations between the pros and amateurs in Wollongong. However, as we've heard previously, in a little more than five years, the Mackay Park track would be gone, and so would the South Coast Bicycle Club. Here's Danny Hennessy. It's another
6: guy that... Um passed away about three years ago too in Wollongong. His name was Jim Tollett. He was the founder pretty much of the amateur club and the professional club apparently was pretty big back in the time, Um, but the amateur club slowly emerged and um, Jim was the the founder of that club. So Jim passed away about three years ago and he had actually a massive collection of vintage bikes.
0: We can't really get our head around these days You had the league and you had the union, and the two were very much disconnected.
6: Uh, when I actually started uh, cycling myself, I was it was around nine and eighty four, and the professional club had just finished up, ah. and the amateur club. This is in my area, yeah. and the, and the amateur club was like the only sort of club. I think you know, there just wasn't enough volunteers, enough serious people to be like in the in the professional club. And I then found that there was actually four clubs in the Illawarra at that time. Really? Um, It was crazy, yeah, four clubs in the Illawarra. And one was the professional club, one was the amateur club, one was a club called the Berkeley Cycling Club. It's just a suburb of Wollongong. And another one was the Portuguese Cycling Club. As you know, there's a big migrant community here in Wollongong, the Italians and the Macedonians and the, the Portuguese and the Spanish. And, um, there was a full-on Portuguese cycling club and they did their own races as well. And uh, I knew a few of the riders. So in, in the end, all they sort of got the Berkeley and the Portuguese and the, and the professionals sort of waned a bit and the amateurs hung, hung in there and, um, they decided to all merge together. Mm. So, and that became the amateur club, which, yeah, so rich history and to see the the track racing part of it go from pretty much bowed oval to, to um, over there at McKay Park in the centre of town and uh, then, you know, do, do various races around at all the, the country ovals in town and then, and then uh, they got relocated from McKay Park to Yiddin
0: Wow, we've covered some ground in this podcast. I tried to follow the brief and investigate Wollongong's sacred cycling sites but kept getting distracted by people and their stories. I wanted to talk about race venues but we seem to end up at the pub at the turnaround or the one at the start and finish. I'm surprised that Wollongong's cycling history is more like that of a country town with a real sense of community and family rolling up their sleeves. Its history kind of rolls along and was fixed and organised as the need arised. It's too big a job to cram Wollongong cycling history into one podcast, but it is important with the eyes of the world on the city in 2022 to decide cycling's world champion. My goal wasn't to justify the UCI's decision to award Wollongong the honour, but just to give credit where credit's due and remind everyone that Wollongong is a layback, community-focused cycling city. Because my fear is all too soon the locals might wake up one morning and say, wow, it's busy and realise their beautiful city has just become part of the metro urban sprawl, and their life is too stressed for a walk in thongs or a cruisy bike ride. Maybe the most important thing about the UCI World Championships in Wollongong is the infrastructure Illawarra Club President Terry Wall talked of at the start of this podcast to preserve that country feel and Wollongong's lower stress lifestyle. One thing for sure, if Wollongong use the attributes of their cycling pioneers in hosting the World Cycling Championships, they will put on a good show. The ingenuity and confidence of Theodore Bode. The passion of Tom O'Connor and his mates. The dedication of Lily Berkowitz to follow her dead husband Jack Berkowitz's work. And the energy of all those mentioned in this podcast. For as Joe Pearson said in the 1800s, if you want to go for a bike ride, there's no better place in the world than lovely Illawarra, New South Wales garden.
6: There's so many stories of of where they used to race back then, the professionals and the amateurs in Wollongong.
0: You've been listening to Cycling New South Wales Heritage Commission's podcast. Thanks to Dried Arrangement for the music in this story. This is Heritage Commission Chairman Mark Windsor saying thanks for listening. It's gone.